Right. So there you go. Chips in scrambled eggs. Do you have a favorite egg recipe? You, I know you said you like them in all forms. Uh, no, I like poached eggs. Um, you can put a poached egg on top of anything and instantly. It, it's a, but, yeah. I know. I'm Jordan Kistner, author of the essay collection, Thin Places. And this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new. And the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. Okay, I want to start by reading a little bit of an essay or a prose poem, depending on how you think about it, by the poet Mary Rufel. It's titled Pause. It is about menopause. This is just a little of the end of it. If you're young and you're reading this, perhaps you'll understand the gleam in the eye of any woman who is 60, 70, 8, or 90. They cannot take you seriously. Sorry, for you're just a girl to them, despite your babies and shoes and lovemaking and all of that. You're just a girl playing at life. You haven't even begun. You must pause first the way one must always pause before a great endeavor, if only to take a good breath. Happy old age is coming on bare feet, bringing with it grace and gentle words and ways which grim youth have never known. Ugh, I love that piece. And I'm reading it now because a few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of going to Mary Rufel's house in Vermont to interview her in person and talk about pauses of all kinds, the pause between childhood and adulthood, between adulthood and old age, the momentary pause before you go swimming when you're not yet immersed in the water, the pause at the beginning of an adult life when you recognize the kind of artist you're going to become. Rufel is the author of many books of poetry, including Dunce, My Private Property, and also a book of uh, collected lectures called Madness, Rack, and Honey. That's a kind of a cult favorite among writers and artists. She's been a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and a longlister for the National Book Award in Poetry. Together, we talked about all kinds of things, up to and including the best way to cook eggs for breakfast. Hope you enjoy. Thresholds are very interesting and also, like most things, there are two sides to them. So a threshold is an entry, is it not? You cross the threshold and you enter a new space. The threshold of a structure is a door. Um, of course, a window could also be a threshold. And traditionally, you pause and you pause, even if you're entering, let's say, a house or an apartment, you have to pause because you have to open the door. And that takes a moment. You're not instantly inside. You don't instantly leave the outside. So a threshold is a crossing, and it's a moment of, of pause. Threshold. But it's interesting when... You, the word thresh can be very violent because we thresh grain. So we take grain and we pulverize it. Is that not threshing grain? In life, thresholds can often pulverize us. And when we are pulverized, the threshold, it's a moment where you have to go through something to get to something new. 
And I suppose the first threshold that I can remember, I suppose, as a human being would be adolescence. We were all pulverized at adolescence, completely pulverized. But it's an enormous threshold because we are leaving the sanctity of being only a child that belongs to a unit, if we're lucky, and we're leaving all that and we are on our own and becoming, becoming our own person. So that's a huge threshold. Um, an example of that threshold in my own life would be I very clearly remember the first time I ate in a restaurant with friends and there were no adults. We took a bus to, to downtown. We were in the suburbs in Nebraska. And we hung out. I don't have no memory of what we did. There were like four or five of us. But we went to a Chinese restaurant. And I remember sitting there and saying, shit, I've never been in a restaurant without my parents. Ever. It was huge. It's almost a very small example, but it was huge. Lately, actually with a friend of mine, we've been talking about first times and last times. And when you're young, the first time you do, and you often do things for the first time and you're aware of it. And when you're very, very young, you do things for the first time and you will have no mem you have no memory of your of you speaking your first words or learning to write you know but other things you remember the first time and uh i'm at the other end of my life and you do things and you're well aware it is the last time or maybe the last time like visiting someplace and you know you'll never be back you just know it you wouldn't know it you're too young but i would know i will never go back to wherever yeah it's interesting you yeah. use the word pause uh -huh. that at, at, at a threshold we uh -huh. are we have to pause uh -huh. because one of one of the things you've written about sort of middle middle age or another threshold uh -huh. the other end threshold uh -huh parallel to adolescence is menopause in mm -hmm. that piece pause yeah which I really love like there was something that really um resonated with me about that piece I think because I think because of the part at the end of it where you address the younger woman mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who who has so little idea what's a what's ahead of her mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um which I found as a young woman reading it very moving and very comforting. <laughs> oh, it didn't frighten you? No. I had a friend who was younger who said that it frightened them. I mean, mm. menopause as you describe it doesn't sound like a treat, mm -hmm. but the idea that there is a threshold, a secret, that there's another mm. thing, that there is knowledge to find. Yeah. And that you are, I feel like, I think the image was like you're sort of standing at the edge of a dark woods or something mm -hmm. and you can't even see mm -hmm. what's coming. But mm -hmm. the idea that that was true, that mm -hmm. appeals to me. <laughs> the mm -hmm. idea of there being some other 
space mm-hmm. um, that you can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is, yeah, that's a threshold. And I think in that essay, I do talk about it being in many ways like going through adolescence again. I want to go back to the restaurant you ate in. Oh, yes. What did you eat? Do you remember? I don't remember. It was obviously Chinese Chinese food. Uh-huh. And it ends up, it was a very famous Chinese restaurant that had been in Omaha for years and years because much later I had a friend who was born and raised in Omaha who said my parents used to take me to that restaurant all the time. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was an old Chinese restaurant probably from railroad days in Omaha. And it was very dark blood red lacquered booths, which I absolutely loved. Maybe it's still there. I don't know. So we sat in a dark red lacquered booth. And and I'm sure we had Chinese food and we had tea and little round cups, which maybe we had never drunk tea before or out of a, a, a cup without a handle as we were all just white middle-class kids, you know? So it was a true threshold. I just remember, I'm sure the the others that I was, the others I was with don't remember it, but I remember that as a big first. How did it feel? Were you scared? It was, I think I was shocked. I I was just shocked. Hey. I'm here without my family. How it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. So I remember that. Something you were saying as you were starting to talk about mm-hmm. that experience in the restaurant mm-hmm. was that one of the things that feels pulverizing, but also, I don't know, maybe reconstituting mm-hmm. about adolescence mm-hmm. is the fact that you have to become a person, your own person, separate from your family. Was that, did that feel pulverizing for you or was it exciting, like sitting in the restaurant? Oh, that thinking? was exciting. No, I, that was exciting. <laughs> it was exciting to be, to, no, I I didn't have any problem leaving my family. I understand many people do, and it's their... But I, I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, no. I just wanted to get away. Yeah. And when you are going through these firsts and in that process of getting away, what did? You, how did you want to be? Who did you want to be? I don't Separate think I had a clue. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I had a clue at the time. But then when you look back at your adolescence many years later, in retrospect, you see the things you were interested in and um, you, you, you do. I, I think the, the, the kids, I, I think we were all members of drama club. So at that time... Uh, Dance and drama were huge in my life, huge in terms of the arts. So, and when I was in dance class, I was completely away from my family and I was in another world in the studio. Um, And obviously you're in another world when 
you're on stage being another person. So those were two arts at that. I'm and I'm talking thirteen, you know, at, at thirteen. I, as we're talking, I can I think of another threshold in my life, but it, it's just my life. When I was fourteen, uh, we moved to Europe, and that was an enormous threshold in my life that can bring tears to my eyes. I wonder how my life would have been differently had I not made that Atlantic crossing. Because at that time, then, an entire world exploded in my face because I had never been to Europe and it was full of culture that I had not been exposed to I had not been exposed to culture and art in the ways that I suddenly was exposed to on my own and through school. Um, and it was life, to, to call it life-changing is actually an understatement. So it, those were very formative years for me. I suppose this high school's formative for everyone, but they, it was very formative for me. I was going on my own into museums. I can remember skipping school, which I did a lot, and discovering by accident René Magritte, the painter, is Belgian, and there was an entire gallery, a small gallery off the side that was had 50 of his paintings in it. And I remember discovering it by accident, walking down the street, poking around, finding things to do. And I can remember walking in and looking at those paintings, and I was like 15, 16, and completely b being blown away. And he's not, he's not one of my favorite painters, but that, at the present time, but you know, that moment was was extraordinary and um, in so many ways. I remember the threshold, also a culinary threshold. I can remember um, going out to eat with friends alone and ordering cream of chicken soup and it was not like any cream of chicken soup I had ever had in my entire life. And I can remember sitting there with the bowl in front of me and eating the cream of chicken soup and knowing I was in a different world. Prior to that, I had the only cream of chicken soup I had had was Campbell's cream of chicken in a can that you add water to. And this was cream of chicken soup made with real cream and fresh chicken and doubtless some tarragon or something. And I could not believe that this cream of chicken soup came from the same family as the cream of chicken soup I had grown up with. I can re I remember the cream of chicken soup. So I have a memory for very it's a, uh, specific things. I have a memory for the unimportant, you know, um, in so many ways, that was a that was a threshold, leaving one country for another. Why did you move? Oh, military, straight, strict, just run of the mill 
military. Yes, my father was stationed in Brussels where NATO had was at that time. NATO had moved from Paris to Brussels in the mid-60s. It sounds like, to me, the chicken soup was, the cream of chicken soup was very important. There was another world that I didn't know. What it represents is it was simply symbolic of the fact that there, or emblematic of the fact there was another world that existed that I was completely unaware of. Completely unaware of it. And I found myself living in it. And that was explosive, just explosive. I didn't know such a thing existed. And here I am in it. Although at that time, I didn't see it that way. I just simply walked around every day exploding, just exploding with everything I was seeing um, and experiencing. And that very much has to do with art, with the art that I was exposed to. Um, I have no memory of being in an art museum in the United States, except once in elementary school, we had a field trip and we were taken to the National Gallery in Washington, D.C. And I just remembered that that happened, but I don't remember standing in front of paintings and having the top of my head blown off. But I very much do remember having the top of my head blown off when I was in museums in, in Belgium and in all the and other countries because I traveled. Uh, yeah. While I was there, we'd go different places, some with my family and some totally alone. Um, was living in a world that I didn't know existed is a fair way to put it. And, and art was a large part of that world, and I have lived in that world ever since. I mean, I've lived, you know, with art on my mind ever since. There's never been a period of my life where art was not on my mind. How do you think that that, I mean, aside from essentially magically transporting you into your life... How do you think that that time shaped, this is going to, uh, forgive me, this is going to sound like a, a, a question obvious or general enough to be facile, but mm -hmm. please. Uh, I like facile things. Okay. Uh, like, how, how do you think that that time shaped the artist you decided you wanted to become? I don't think it shaped the kind. It shaped the very fact that I wanted to if that makes sense, that I wanted to become an artist. But I also, you know, was this, this was the 60s, and um, I was a teenager in the 60s, and everything's changed completely. I mean, the word postmodern didn't, or post, post, didn't exist then. And so I'm very much rooted in the extremely unpopular place of antiquity. It's considered antiquity. Um... I come out of that, as, as I think everyone my age, every artist my age does. And it's not that we don't change with the time. It's that after a while, so, so I come out of an, a very old-fashioned art world. I come out of all of the stuff that was later rejected. 
um, example would be um, painting, which is considered basically an antiquated art form today. We still have painters, but half the, it's not everyone paints, right? Just a small number. So I come out of an art world where painters signed their name on paintings, which of course later was con, con, stupidly considered stupid. Um, so I come out of that and I come out of the tradition of the lone artist on his or her or their journey. I come out of a world where you go to a museum to feel whatever you want to feel and you're not there to be educated by reading text on the wall. And you're not there to be educated by the art pieces. Hmm. You're there to have an experience and your own reaction. But now every museum is a guided tour. It's a guided tour whether or not you pay the money for the earphones. Because the text on the wall is putting everything in context. Now there is something to be said for that. But. I like writing to be on the page or in books or magazines or newspapers. I don't want it on the wall of a museum, you know. So that is the museum-going experience has completely changed in my, in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I do. I have a lot of trouble going into museums today because I feel like I'm being told what to see and how to see and how to think. And I don't like it. I've walked out of museums because of that experience, which mm. is very sad. I don't know whether I'm the sad one or the museum's the sad one, but they're, they're, they're basically educational centers now, all of them. I mean, except for one or two that I can think of. The Museum of Jurassic Technology in LA is not like that at all. It's my favorite museum in the country. It's and it's not like that. It, it, it's not like that. It's different. Of course, it's a, a work of art in itself. It is a work of art. It's a museum that is a work of art, so that's different. This, this is funny, because this, I'm about to make an antiquated statement. I really do believe in the timelessness of art, and that all art is, is uh, spontaneously exists. And that's a, a belief that many have debunked, but I, I believe it. So when I say I hope that my work as an artist is antiquated, it I'm also saying in the same breath, I hope it's completely of the present moment and completely contemporary. Because to me, yeah, and, uh, one thing, uh, being in 
Belgium as as opposed to a place like France is Belgium is the art in Belgium is steeped in the Middle Ages very particularly mm-hmm. and so the medieval art in the Middle Ages be, my exposure to that was such that to this day I absolutely love it you know, love it. My very first book of poems is called Memling's Veil, and Memling is a painter um, of the of a mid, you know, Middle Ages. So there, you know, he's a Belgian painter of the Middle Ages. So there you go. There it is, right there from the beginning. Um, it's not there anymore, but you can see I was coming coming out of that. Um, do you feel like you've gone to Belgium for the last time? Since Sadly, you've... yes. I yes, I've never been back. I'd love to go back, but I I can't envision in the few years left to me or whatever that I uh, I can't imagine. Uh, I couldn't afford to go as a tourist for I I can't I I don't I don't. No one knows the future. I don't think I will ever return, but no one knows the future. Yeah, and it's also everything. You can't go back. You can't go home again. Everything's changed. It, you know, it's now like, I mean, it's changed irreparably. I, I know that. Many places that I once lived have changed irreparably. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't change. Places do. Places mm-hmm. do. In the natural world. Mm. What do you think there is to know or that you know now that you are maybe counting beginnings or firsts mm-hmm. and also lasts mm-hmm. at the same time? Mm-hmm. I imagine you're in a period where you're, you're doing both. Well, the, there are very few things that I'm doing for the first time. At my age, I mean, there are very few things. Off the top of my head, I can't think of it. Maybe I'll soft boil an egg tomorrow. That might be the first <laughs> for six minutes, for six exactly minutes. six six minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, well, if I travel to a country where I've never been, that's a first. Um, and I, I've I've been to all the states, so. What would be a first? I have never lived, but see, these aren't first. These are things now I will never do. Um, I've never lived, lived on the ocean for any amount of, you know, for even a, for a season. I've never lived on the, by the ocean, near the ocean, where you could see or hear it. I've never done that. And that's an entirely different world, you know? Um, I'm more comfortable with uh, Forest Mountain Lake is is my geographical template. Um, I can think of things I've never done and will never do. Firsts at my age, I don't know. Um, I mean... I'll die for the first time. Well, that depends on your beliefs, but um, 
That's the big great first that comes last. That's the great first that comes last that you know you're facing. Yeah, that's the great first that comes last. Is there something to like about lasts? Well, only if you don't like the experience that you're having for the last time. You know, like, that's the last time I'll ever eat a brownie, or that's the last time... You don't like brownies? No. <laughs> I hate them. I just like... <laughs> That's the last time I'll ever go to Ohio. But no, I can't say that because I had a wonderful time in Ohio. Absolutely loved, loved this one place. But I, was it Cleveland or Cincinnati? I think it was Cleveland. Where's Rebecca? Oh, I, I don't know. It was, yeah, I shouldn't, I can't name a state. I can't say stuff like that off the top of my head. But, um, um. Parts of Ohio I like and parts of Ohio I don't. Um, that's the last time. Yeah, it's great if you don't like the experience, you know. Um, but if you love the experience, it's very, 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 very sad. Very sad, you know. Very sad. Very sad. I love summer. Every summer I say, what if this is the last summer? Then I try to live it to the full and it goes so quickly. Summer passes so much more quickly than winter. So much more quickly. Um, what do you like doing in the summer? I swim outside in a lake near here. And that's my joy. I don't, I don't need anything more than that. I swim outside in a nearby lake. So when you want, uh, you want hot, sunny days, so the lake gets warm, you want a hot, sunny days, that's what I do in the summer. And I, it's supreme, supreme happiness. That's as good as it gets, I think. Pool, there's a threshold going from air to water. That's a that's a threshold entering entering water. It's a threshold. I don't. I many people just le uh, dive in or leap in, but I pause. I'm someone who will walk up to their waist and stand there. Just before I change elements. I don't like diving in. I pause. I don't either. Yeah, and it's funny because people have they either like to dive in. Get it over with. <laughs> try, try getting over adolescence. I'm just going to get it over with. <laughs> um, no, I, I go up to my waist and pause. What is it that you like about pausing? That's, that word keeps coming up. Stilling the moment. To still the moment. To stop time. I like stopping time. I mean, that's what poetry's all about. That's <laughs> what art's all about. And I, or the or used to be, but I like to stop time. And that's a, it's anytime the moment can be stilled and pausing is a way of stilling time, which can't be stilled, but it gives the illusion of time being stilled. It turns time into a still life. It's an illusion, but 
it's all we have is illusion. So why not? Do you feel like that's still the thing that you want your writing to do? It doesn't make any difference whether you want your writing to do that or not. Writing does it. It, 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 it does it. It does it. Whether you want it to or not is beside the point. Because when you read, let's take a poem as an example rather than a novel. Or When you read a poem, you're, your ongoing daily thinking life is stilled by written language on the page that you have entered and are encountering, and something is stilled. Something is stilled. I'm taken out of my of the ordinary passing time of my day when, when I read. And if I'm able to read for an extended period of time, I feel as if I've still time all day, you know? Um, I think you are entering another world when you enter a page. And there is that threshold. Uh, does time always stop for me when I read a poem? No. You know, I'll start, maybe I'll read something and say, I, I don't like this, I can't keep reading. And, and, or if you feel, if you're reading a book and you are bored by it, time's not being stilled, you know. Um. So you have to find every, I think every person has to find his, her, or their own way of stilling time. You have to find your own way of stilling time. For some, it may be reading. For some, it may be swimming. For some, it may be sex. For some, it may be, there's um, hundreds of activities that will still time. You have to find which ones work for you, which ones work for you. And reading has always worked for me. And pausing. Yeah, yeah, and pausing. Can I, is this, is this, this is like, is this heard like on the computer or on the radio? I forget. What do you mean? Our conversation. It'll be, it'll be on the computer or on oh. people's phones. Oh, can or... I use this as a public forum to, to vent? <laughs> sure. I can't go to Mass Mocha. Oh no. Okay. Because so... of the upside down trees, which should be removed I can't enter the museum because you have to walk by these three trees that are being tortured. What if you saw three human beings hung upside down and forced fed? Now, I found out the other day that the trees have died and have been replaced, which even made me more furious. The fact that the trees died, if this is true, someone told me, if the trees have died, then, okay, bring the installation down. It's been there since the museum opened. And 
It's three trees planted upside down. It's three trees, down. and they're, ups, they're suspended in the air upside down, and they're fed water through a tube. They're completely upside down. Yes, they change with the seasons, and the leaves turn yellow and fall and come back, but they're upside down, and you can tell by looking at them that they are not happy. They're being tortured, but it's art, you know? And it's horrible. And I, if anyone's listening that agrees with me, we should start a petition. They're living things. Trees are living things. Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar Strauss and Drew. I'm Jordan Kissner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jordan.kissner. We'll see you next week.